0: Welcome to In the Middle, I'm Joey Block. This is the first edition of the show. I am so happy to be doing this, just so you all know a little bit about me. I was the news director here. I graduated in May, and now I'm back doing this show. I was also a news reporter, assistant news director. I was a news anchor for newscasts. I did Are You Awake? The Morning Show here. I was a DJ for a time. I did a lot of things. Let's put it that way. But during my time at WRSU, there's always one thing I wanted to do, and I didn't get a chance to do it. I love politics, and now I'm getting the chance to do this show, a political talk show about politics solely on that. I mean, I love news and everything, but politics in particular is something I love to follow because there's a political angle to everything, and this show is about getting in the middle of it. We're cutting through the noise. There's always picking a side. There's always the right or the left. And here, we're just bringing you the facts. I'm not going to tell you my opinion. I'm going to bring you different opinions. When we're talking to different candidates. Or we're talking to activists. Or people who just believe in what they're saying. That's the voices I'm bringing to you. I'm bringing you in now. So here's the, how the format of the show is kind of going to work. I'll give you a little behind the scenes. Just this one time. First... I'm going to give you an intro, more or less what I'm doing now. I'm going to give you my analysis of what's going on over the course of the week, what to expect in the coming week. Whether it's the poll numbers of the presidential candidates or the issues that are affecting them, and in particular this week and pretty much for up till November, we're going to really focus on elections. That's the big thing we're focusing on, the presidential election because it seems like everything's political these days, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, which is another thing we're gonna be talking about. COVID nineteen just seems to seep into everything. I know when I was I was also the host of our public affairs show called Nightbeat, which is on Wednesday nights, and we towards the end of my time doing that was COVID, 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 COVID. We just can't avoid it. It's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So that's going to be we're going to be talking a little bit about that throughout our time here on the show. So we'll be talking a little bit about that how that's affecting things and where the race stands as well as mail in balloting. That's a controversy. It's, some states are doing all mail in voting, some states are not. Here in New Jersey, every municipality is guaranteed to have at least one polling place for you to go to, but for the most part it's mail in. Everyone gets sent a ballot. And some people don't agree with that. But we're going to talk about that in a little moment here. Right now, I want to focus on the presidential race. Here's where the race stands. National poll in the Real Clear Politics average. The former Vice President Joe Biden is leading by 50 half points to President Trump, who has 43%. So... It's about a 75 spread in terms of Biden. And if you want to compare it to four years ago, Hillary Clinton, she was up by a two-point margin. So you're saying, um, well, Biden must be doing pretty good, right? Isn't that what you think? Well, you should dig a little deeper into the battlegrounds. That's where you're going to want to love. Let's ring them out. And I'm not going to mention every single one because there's some... They're just already in someone's camp, like Maine or Texas or Georgia. People, states that people are talking about. Let's talk about the battlegrounds. So, Florida. Florida, Florida, Florida. You know, in 2000, that was the make or break state. A lot of people were saying, eh, it's more conservative now since now they have a Republican governor and they have two Republican senators. That must mean the state's going red and there's no coming back. Well, here is what the margin is for that one. Biden has a little over 48% of the vote to Trump's 47%. So Biden has a little bit over a one point example. This 1.2 percentage margin, that's what's between them. That has always been seen as what typically comes out of these elections, that margin right there. And that's getting tighter. Florida's always tight. So that's a state we're going to have to watch there. And I'll explain more of that in a moment as well, because Florida is an interesting dynamic. Pennsylvania, that's been trending right, right, right. We had Biden and people are talking about fracking and how Biden, you know, liked fracking and didn't like fracking. And now he's claiming he has no problem with fracking. And, you know, Biden is up 49 there to Trump's. 44%. So Biden has a 4.3 spread. That's significant because that's tightening as well. Trump needs that state in order to get to the White House or he's going to have a harder map. We still have some other states, but he's going to have to look at that. Wisconsin, Biden, almost 50% there. Trump is 43%. So Biden's got roughly six points ahead of him in that state. And that was the tipping point state by most political analysts' standpoint. So that's going to be a state you want to watch because there's been a lot of movement there. Scott Walker was the governor there, Republican. Speaker of the House, former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, he came from there. Reince Priebus, who was the head of the Republican National Committee, he was there at one point, and a former chief of staff under the Trump administration. So Wisconsin's definitely got a lot of conservative roots. You know, that's the birthplace of the Republican Party. So that's one thing you're kind of... North Carolina, there's a storyline right there for you. Biden up 48%. To get ready for it, Trump has 47.2. So Biden is up only by 0.8 there. Where's Trump been the last few weeks? North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina. He's Two or three times he's been there the last few weeks. They re- the Trump campaign's putting a lot of weight into that. So that's something we're going to have to look at. Arizona. This should not even be a state we're talking about right now, but we are, because Trump has really not done well in these areas. This is a border state, so the Hispanic population has been a credit to that, which may not be 100% true, which I'm going to get to that, but it seems like in 2018, Kirsten Cinnamon, she won the Senate right there. She's a Democrat. That hasn't happened in a while. Because that was Jeff Flake's old seat. He was a conservative Republican, but he was kind of different in style from the president, so he just decided to retire. Martha McSally, who's currently running there, she is constantly behind in the polls. She didn't win last time. She got appointed because John McCain's seat was vacated the unfortunate passing of the late senator. So she, she got put in that spot. So this shouldn't even be something that's on the board, but it is Biden's up by four and a half points there. So that's something you're going to have to watch, in my opinion. That This was a state I was looking at for a while. Biden needs to dominate here. What Trump needs to do is maintain. He needs to, one, get that advantage. He needs to hold on to this. But for Biden, if he can really run it up in this state, he could potentially keep it in Democratic hands forever. That's a big one. Minnesota, this is one where I didn't even think it was even possible four years ago because the trump campaign just went there last minute but they did it they almost won the state and it was credible by one percentage point biden's up by over six points there but again they're really looking on the iron belt of the state this is the northeast corner they think they can win because there's some nickel mines that democrats didn't want to approve there trump says he's going to approve them so we're going to have to see on that one ohio This has been a Republican leaning state lately. Biden's up by 2.4 percentage points there. No Republican has won the White House without Ohio. So that's something Biden probably wants to, you know, put a damper in. So Biden needs to win that state, obviously, to take it out of Trump's electoral path. And Trump needs to hold on to it. Nevada. Trump has been there the past weekend. He's been staying, he stayed overnight there. Why Nevada? Why? The Hispanic vote. You're probably saying, Hispanic vote? Republicans don't win the Hispanic vote. Never, 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 never would win the Hispanic vote. Well, I'm going to reveal something to you here. In Florida, no different state, Trump is winning by four points with Latino voters. 50% to Biden's 46%. They're making a big move, the Trump campaign, to move towards this group. And they're trying to mobilize them. Republicans have been saying for years they were going to do this. Mainly because George W. Bush won nationally. He got 40% of the vote. Latino vote. Trump right now has got 41%. And the campaign is 40% nationally. So they're doing pretty good. So Nevada. They think they can crack this vote. If they have the right messaging. The jobs. The economy. The religion aspect of it. If they can crack that. They think they'll be in good shape. But it's not all rosy for Donald Trump if you think, wow, that was the case for Trump to win this election. No, the seniors, he's not doing too great with. Biden's got a nine point advantage there. Trump carried this group last time around. So Trump's got to do a lot of work with seniors. And a lot of that, some people are saying it's COVID 19 related. But I'm going to discuss that more with the panel ahead. But here's what we're getting into the middle of tonight the 6th District. New Jersey's 6th Congressional District has been held by re- Congressman Frank Pallone for the last almost 30 years. But one Republican is trying to take his seat. Christian Anova. He's a millennial. He's a Republican. He's an African American. He says it's time to stop these politicians who are out of touch. That's what his messaging is. And that, re- that primary was interesting because it was a write-in primary. COVID-19 hit, neither of his candidates, and by the way, his opponent was Sammy Gindy, a Jewish Republican and also a younger man in his 20s. The dynamics of this district is kind of interesting because Republicans were saying they were trying to reach out different demographics, which looks like they might have. Well, the Democrats, they were also saying this message, but they got an old white guy running in that district. That's the case that Christian Noah is trying to make. It was a right-in primary for the Republicans, so it ended up being a vice And Sammy Gindy is saying it was Melon Boulevard. Well, I'm going to ask Christian Noah about that. That's coming up next here on WRSU FM New Brunswick. Welcome back to In the Middle. I'm Joey Block. New Jersey's 6th District is one that is solid blue. You never think it's going to go to the Republican side. Well, that doesn't stop two Republicans from running this time around. It ended up being a write-in primary because neither candidate had enough signatures to get on the ballot. So it was a write-in. Christian Anoa is currently the nominee of the Republican party in that district. One one candidate, Sammy Gindy, he says it was mail-in voter fraud. How are we campaigning during this time? Well... Let's find out. Joining me now to discuss this is the Republican congressional candidate in New Jersey's 6th District, Christian Anoha. Christian, thank you so much for joining me. Joey, is an absolute president. The Senate failed to pass a slimmed down version of coronavirus stimulus package, which means there probably won't be anything passed before the election. If you were in Congress right now, what would you do to move this along?
1: I think one issue... If I was in Congress, I would have been eager to uh, you know, push for more relief. However, um, I would have been very eager on having, you know, uh, pressure on, on states to kind of confirm what they have done with, um, you know, the, the previous stimulus. I think that that's very responsible, uh, you know, to do. And, you know, we haven't really seen much of that transparency um, with how the, the first round of stimulus uh, went, went through. We have people still filing unemployment uh, as far back as March that still haven't gotten details. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough um, to, to provide more money when there really isn't a, a lot of transparency on what the first round, um, you know, how that was really appropriated.
0: The president did an interview with Bob Woodward for his new book, Rage, in which he said that he knew COVID-19 was highly contagious despite saying otherwise to the public, as well as acknowledging he played down the virus in order to avoid panic. Do you think the president's doing everything he can to combat the pandemic?
1: Honestly, I think uh, the president and really at this point every elected official who is out there every single day, um, you know, speaking to the people, being willing to be held accountable for better or for worse, um, I gotta give him a lot of credit. So not just the president, but even here locally as well. Um, whether we agree or disagree, I think that got have to give him credit for showing up every single day for thirty minutes, one hour, two hours, just you know, holding these press conferences and allowing, you know, the, the public to have access. Um so that's give credit where credit is due on that. Um, and as well as the president. You know, he could have easily just delegated it to a task force and just not really here from um you know, so You know, I I, I do give him credit for for being readily available, and and not just him, but even here in New Jersey locally uh, on on both both sides.
0: So you said locally here in New Jersey. So Governor Phil Murphy, he's seen a spike in his approval rating. Some people have criticized that he hasn't opened things quick enough. Some people are saying he's doing it just at the right pace. Where do you stand on that?
1: For Republicans and Democrats, from the the president, even, even to our governor in New Jersey, we would have loved to see things move quicker. Um, we would have loved to see guidelines pushed out quicker. You know, that would have helped save lives. It would have helped save businesses. Um, so so, so definitely both, you know, are also at, at fault in that in that area. But it's easy to say that looking, looking back. For me, specifically on the governor and, like, here in New Jersey, I, I felt a bit disheartened seeing that, and standards for people to do grocery shopping, even as far as going to the liquor store, right? Um, but yet, other businesses, you know, mom um, you know, and pop shops, um, even as far as churches, which are also, you know, quote unquote businesses or, or, or nonprofit organizations, uh, being forced to to, to to shut to shut to shut down, um, and not giving them that fair opportunity to show that they can they can meet up with. The right guidelines and procedures. It shouldn't just be Walmart, it shouldn't just be shot right from day one. I think that all businesses should be given an, an opportunity to work locally to, to meet standards and guidelines.
0: Moving back towards Bob Woodward's book again for a moment, Woodward yeah. talked to sources close to Dr. Anthony Fauci where they claim he said the president's quote, attention span is like a minus number and that his quote Sole purpose is to get reelected, along with other claims, which Fauci came, later came out and debunked. What is your reaction to that?
1: Honestly, I work in clinical research, right? Um, I, I grew up studying a lot of Dr. Fauci's work. Um, he's been a huge inspiration in my, you know, in, in my career in the private sector. Um, he knows what he's saying, um, and the president made the right call in bringing him into the coronavirus task force. I would agree. Uh, that, listen, the the president uh, is definitely more intelligent than, you know, whatever that vote is, is referring to. You know, so that's kind of my stance on
0: that. So moving back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, you identify as more of a moderate Republican. Washington is being seen as more and more as a highly partisan town where many votes fall along party lines. How would you navigate this atmosphere if elected?
1: for for moderates on both sides, for Democrats and Republicans. The reason why I see I'm moderate is because I guess my background, you know, I come from a lot of different backgrounds. So the reason why I see I'm moderate is because I meet so many different people in so many different ways and so many, you know, for so many different reasons. And I find myself, you know, being able to, relate with all of them, I find myself being able to understand, you know, their, their perspective, because I relate with it in one way or another to their perspective. And... Because of that, I think that I can definitely go to Washington D.C. and hear both sides of an argument and still understand where both are coming from uh, without being too drawn either way. And I can also be the voice for our district here in C.B. which is also very moderate. And really bring that voice of reason, uh, that you know, that that general New Jersey family value voice, you know, to the to, to the state capital and. You know, hopefully that will drown out, or at least drown out a bit of the special interest voice. And I think it's the right thing to do. Um, and we need more of that kind of representation in our capital.
0: Now, you mentioned your district right there. Your Democratic opponent, Congressman Frank Pallone, he's been in office since 1988. Why do you think we need the change?
1: I mean, you, you said it right there, right? Literally, because you've been there since 1988. Um, Many will consider that to be, you know, a strength. Meaning, you know, he has experiences; he knows what he's doing. Sure, I, I understand that, that, that perspective. You know, if you do something for 30 years, you should be able to have a, you, know, you should have the ability to develop a great highlight reel. And for those who criticize him for those, you know, 30 plus years, you should probably be able to develop a great blooper reel as well, right? That's just, it's just a general universal principle. For me he shouldn't be our congressman, not. Really. Uh, I think that we need a different perspective, a different take, a different representative because of the next 30 years. Um, you know, if you meet him, Joey, and, and you shake his hand, uh, if he comes to your town, uh, the same way he comes to my town here in Sierraville, uh, you realize that, yeah, he, he doesn't know what it's like to go to college during the recession. He doesn't know what it's like to, you know, not be a millionaire in the middle of coronavirus. Um, you know, and because of that he he I just don't believe that he will know uh, the innovative ideas that, we, that will be required for us to get to the next step um, moving forward in our, in our country. Uh, simply because he doesn't really know what it's like to have been a regular person on the street in the past 10 years, 20 years. He grew up in a completely different America uh, sorry, a completely different America than he grew up in. Um, so if he's going to bring ideas and policies and issues that can take us forward, it's, it's not like so that's not a genuine reason um, maybe for a different position that requires more of an experience of, of yes past. he might be great maybe in, in, in an advisory role um, maybe in you know just a, a different position than someone who's supposed to lead the innovation and bring the voices um, to to represent you know when you look at cd6 and, and, and you push your you know you put your spoon in, in that in, in that melting pot and you, and you bring up a face it's not I don't think it's supposed to be Frank Cologne. I think that that would have been the case maybe maybe 30 years ago, and it was, but not in 2020. Um, I don't think that that's the representation, which is a, you know an elderly Caucasian male who you know doesn't have the experiences that I just I just I just mentioned. That that doesn't seem to be the formula for what's going to take us ahead in the next 30 years.
0: So COVID has changed life as we know it pretty much, including campaigning. I know for you in your primary. Typically, you just get on the ballot. You get enough signatures at this time around. uh, You weren't able to do that, so it was a write-in primary instead. So what are the differences? Since you've done this now your second time campaigning, what what key differences do you see in this campaign, and how are you adapting to that? I know you've talked about that a little bit already, but what is it like that you can't necessarily hold in-person things and go to those in-person events the same way as you could last year, for example?
1: Yeah. And Joey, you got the bad questions. I'm 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 glad to talk to you right now. I, I appreciate that. Um so my general mindset initially was, you know, I ran for State Assembly, knocked up some doors, I got out there, um, you know, and after the results, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, meeting people that recognized me, having these conversations, it's like, you know, I felt that I want to continue that i want to continue to knock on board i want to continue to get out there i want to continue to push a better narrative in our area especially in central jersey and i figured you know what let me just put my name in for congress um and, and see what happens in the primary you know um, i knew that was going to be a long hill battle but you know the best way to do it is just the campaign and kind of see what happens and after covid um our you know party convention um was, was turned into something virtual um, so it affected my, my access to new people the way I initially anticipated. Um, and to set up the right infrastructure to even get on the ballot was even a tough, a tough situation as well because I didn't really know how to get electronic signatures, right? How exactly do you just do that, Joey? You know, like, and there's no guidance towards that. So when, when our governor got that executive order and, you know, that's just it you, just it. you just read that that. It puts young people like us trying to get involved at a, a standstill, right? Like what do I do? How do I get a verified signature from someone that does, that isn't gonna match their physical signature? And how do I make sure it's verified? So all these things was you know, it, it did bring that hurdle. Um and it resulted in me not even getting on the ballot. It is true. Um but, you know, we 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 you know we, we still pushed. Um you know we got we got some good help from you know, our, our local voters, man, who really write my name in and spell my last name correctly, and um, we, are, we are here now. But, you know, what we're going to do moving forward, it's literally just the same exact thing. Um, keep pushing. Keep pushing and, and, and keep getting our name out there and keep getting the ideas out there and keep listening. Um, you know, because it will never, we'll never do a great job if you don't get your voice into the capital. If you don't make your voice louder, then all this is really for no reason. Um, you know, so hopefully that answers your question, but you know, the, you know, I think it was just executive voters without factoring in the younger politicians getting into the game. Um, you know, it, it hurts. It hurts. It really affects a lot. It makes it so much harder. There are so many people in so many other towns that that just kinda of gave up. Um, and that doesn't help our society, it doesn't help our community in the long run. When we when we, like I said, pushing bills without factoring every single person. And how can you when you don't have experiences with different types of people. Um, so I'm not even angry at the governor. I'm really not even angry at the secretary of state. I, I don't have anything personal against these people because I know that they don't
0: know. Now, you mentioned the governor's executive order about mail-in ballots. Uh, there's a lot of concern over those. A member of your party, President Trump, is warning about the possibility of voter fraud with mail-in ballots this November. Uh, he specifically okay. points to the incident that happened in Patterson. Your former primary opponent, Sammy Gindy, claims he lost due to mail-in voter fraud and claims that you put a lot of fake signatures on your ballot, and that's why it got rejected. So, one, do you have a concern about mail-in balloting? And two, what do you make of these accusations? Oh, man. He said that?
1: Okay. All right. Here's the thing. All right. What it comes to—by the way, petitions are completely different from vote by mail. Um, so, you know, they're be accusations for, for the for, for the, for the, for the two, uh, when it comes to vote by mail, this is my opinion. Um, you know, do we have voter fraud, um, in the world? Yes. but like not just America, it's global. Right. Um, now when we look at the state of New Jersey specifically, it's, it's going to be tough to, you know, we, we've all known very much that the, you know, our postal system it challenged, right? They and not just the postal service, but a lot of government agencies, right? It, you know, it, we've, been, we've been going through tough times. Um, our state is in debt, so companies or organizations that rely on state funding are going to have challenges. They too are maybe at risk of debt. Now, if we're going to now rely on our, if we're going to give our postal service more work, the concern about that is the number of people relying on prescription drugs um, that you know, also uses the, the Postal Service to receive their drugs. Um, so that that's a huge concern. And when the president said that, you know, we want to, not really the president, but the Postmaster General said that he wants to make some changes um, so that we can still take in these folks, but have it not affect our service delivery of prescription drugs to folks who need them, um, I thought that that was very reasonable. I thought that the best way to go about it is to implement more drop boxes so that our votes go directly to the division of elections where they should go and we rely less on the postal system we put less burden less work uh, for them and allow them to do the job that they were already doing um, effectively and then, if we will use the vote system with the postal service we should upgrade those services to first class so that the postal service who's struggling financially can get some money off of that, especially for the additional work that we're giving them and provide them maybe an opportunity to hire more staff, right, which could be some of the, some of the New Jersey residents that have lost some of their jobs. So, to me, it made sense. And to see the Postmaster General is a former CEO, a former executive of a service delivery company, I think that was very well qualified to implement those changes it made sense when I read it, when I read the press piece, I could I concede that. Uh, when I now saw my opponent, you know, go to Long Branch, um, you know, blabbing about the new Postal's facility and, and, and the new ceiling that they put and things like that, it's like, uh, here we go again, right? We're, we're and, you know, criticizing, criticizing the president saying that, oh, he wants to read the election and he wants to do all these things. And it's like, you know, Again, we have another politician coming in uh, who, to me, is just a puppet of Nancy Pelosi and, and you know, a lot of people who have been in power for a very, very long time, and I don't think they really understand the nuances of how the postal service system works today. In terms of the accusations towards me, like I said, when it comes to the, to the petition, uh, it, was, it was, I won't lie, man, it was a, it was a huge struggle having the oversight of creating an online platform and uh, verifying all the names coming in um, within a very, very tight, a very, very tight, tight deadline. And I made a lot of rookie mistakes by just packaging all these documents and submitting it without the intention that people would, you know, claim to be who they're not online. Um, I really had a genuine belief that, you know, my opponent wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be shady um, and, and galvanize people to, to be funny. I thought that, you know, him and I would, would be gentlemen about it because we we're both young coming in, um, and that just wasn't the case. And looking at the accusations towards uh, voter fraud when it comes to, to the writing, I don't know how I can fix uh, someone spelling the name Christian and all. I don't know how—I don't know how—, I, I don't know how I don't know where that accusation comes from. Or I don't know if he's saying that, oh, someone changed his name and put my name. Or I, I, I don't even know how that would really work. So maybe he has information that I just don't have. But, you know, um, or, or maybe there's been reports that, oh, the Christian is being backed by, by the machine. And it's like, dude, I wish, I wish I was backed by the machine, man. Because um, maybe I would have been able to be on the ballot, you know, the look is going the normal way.
0: Uh, Last time we spoke, you said there were some things you agreed with the president on, while there are others, not so much. But now it seems like you've aligned with him quite closely in regards to trade, where you say you want to renegotiate a lot of the trade deals with our nations that don't work, a lot of what the president has said, infrastructure, which the president has hit on so hard, border security, you want to make sure that we don't have unlawful immigrants coming in, which is pretty much what the president ran on last time around and then the second amendment in which he's been a big support of. What would would you say that you're more in lockstep with the president now than you were a year ago? When we talk
1: about policies, I can I can see eye to eye, 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 to eye with on, 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 on certain on certain things. A lot. Um Robert, I think work with you decide. Um you know but one thing I just want to correct you on is that, that, that comment on unlawful on immigrants. Uh, look, our country is a country of immigration, you know. Um, my parents came into this country as immigrants, um, you know. So, uh, and as a country, as a melting pot, we are eager for immigration. Uh, I, I want to be clear on that. What I'm saying is that there is a process uh, to becoming documented. Um, and, there, uh, and I think that we need to have that conversation. So these are some of the reasons why I, I, I'm running for office, because these are conversations that we do have locally, in Woodbridge, in Sayreville, in Edison, in Long Branch, you know, as to, you know, how is it that we can work with the federal government to make sure that things are running smoothly in our communities? Um, because of the extremism in politics, it's a constant fight, and nothing really ever gets done, and we never really hear the genuine aspects of our, of our opinions. So I hope to be that 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 middle guy to really to really bring us back to, to the right path, and, and hopefully with your support and with everyone who's listening out there, you know, hopefully with your support by by voting uh, this this November or even earlier uh, for Christian Anoa on the ballot, um, I think that we will get the job done together.
0: Christian Anoa, the Republican congressional candidate running in New Jersey's sixth district, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Joey, my brother man. Thank you for having me back. I'm, I'm grateful. You
0: guys are 10. Coming up, I'm going to be discussing with the panel the political events of the week. The Bob Woodward book, mail-in voting. What's driving these candidate numbers? That's coming up next here on WRSU-FM New Brunswick. Welcome back to In the Middle. I'm Joey Block. This week in the political world, we've faced a lot of big issues coming to the head. The coronavirus stimulus package in the Senate got halted. Bob Wilbert came out with a new book. And then also the debate over mail-in balloting just keeps intensifying. But here to discuss that with me is Robbie Siriano, the former Rutgers Republican chairman and staffer for the 2017 Jack Cittarelli campaign and a member of the Rutgers Democrat It's Tommy Amatoso. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. So I want to start with Bob Woodward's new book, Rage. It hits bookshelves this week. In an interview with Woodward, President Trump says he downplayed COVID-19 despite knowing it was contagious because he says he didn't want to panic people. Toby, what's your reaction to that?
2: Uh, I mean... It's pretty much what we've seen from the president throughout the entire COVID crisis. It's what we've we've read from his behaviors is that he's trying to downplay it because he wants the economy to reflect what he's saying, and that'll help him with the upcoming election. He's clearly not very interested in carrying out the duties of a president. I mean, he's never
3: been much of a unifier, but he's also not much of a protector. either.
0: Robbie, could this be damaging to the president's reelection campaign?
3: I fail to see how the, specifically this part of the book, I mean, there could be other parts of Bob Woodward's book that, that could be damaging. But th- this part, I mean, there was a press conference, I think it was in April, where he said the same thing, where he, he in his own Trumpian way, is trying to avoid panic. And the thing is, I don't see how any other no, – another president wouldn't have acted in a different way. No president would have gone up there and screamed "Panic, panic, panic!" No president wants to see uh, the country panicking and and judging by you know democratic leaders at the same time before we all went into lockdown, they would a democratic president would have acted in much a similar way now they would have had uh, more uh, eloquent ways of speaking but uh, Nancy Pelosi was telling people to go about their lives, not to panic. Uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York was saying, go about your lives, not to panic. Even Governor Cuomo in New York State was doing the same thing. There wouldn't if have I, been that much uh, of a difference. If I may respond,
2: I, I think that that is it's, – it's not true that a president would have responded in exactly the same way. Uh, if you go back to – I mean one of the most classic examples is FDR – saying that during pearl harbor this is a day that will live in infamy if he had said this is no big deal then we would have thought he was pretty much insane we would have thought he was not doing his job properly donald trump could have not incited panic but also acknowledged the weight of the situation he continued to not wear a mask he continued to belittle experts who were trying to respond to the problem and he, he described it as something like the flu, like a normal version of the flu, as though it wasn't something that was going to change the way we lived our lives for at least a year going forward. I mean, that's that's completely ludicrous that any other president would have behaved that way. And I, I would say the same, even though I don't like George W. Bush, I don't think he would have behaved that way. I think George W. Bush would have accepted what his. His um, allies and what his experts would have recommended to him, not downplay it so nakedly as to just to just to try and get a, po- a political
3: advantage. I, I mean, if you 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 brought up listening to the experts and if you ask Dr. Fauci, who would have been the point man on this in any other administration, he has served the country with Republican presidents and Democratic presidents. Dr. Fauci has said on multiple interviews and multiple occasions that Trump has been perfectly, he has listened to Dr. Fauci and done what Dr. Fauci has asked. So I think there's a common refrain from the left where it's just listen to science, listen to science. And obviously there are more considerations than just science, but that's what Dr. Fauci says President Trump has done. And I I don't think Dr. Fauci is lying about that. I don't think that Dr. Fauci has said has done exactly what he's
2: told him to do the entire time. Maybe he's been more responsive to Fauci over the last couple months, but there was a significant period of time where there was even rumblings that Trump would fire Fauci or have him removed. And he alluded to it various times in tweets and public statements while also not listening to Dr. Fauci in the recommendations to wear a mask publicly. like He wasn't listening to him most of the time. That's why there was a fear that he was going to get fired.
0: If we can go a little off of that there, in the book that Woodward wrote, he said that sources close to Dr. Fauci, who claimed, he said, the president's, quote, attention span is like a minus number and his, quote, sole purpose is to get reelected. And they also made some other claims, which Fauci later denied. So, Robbie, to you on this one, do you believe that? Dr Fauci he's that he when he says he's never made those remarks
3: when you're dealing with an anonymous source right i don't know who that is i don't know what their motivation is so i don't put a whole lot of stock into it i i mean i mean it's certainly it's not a ridiculous statement like i don't disbelieve that Trump has uh, a short uh, attention span but I don't know. I can't put my trust into someone I I don't know. They're not putting their names on the
0: line. So, Toby, are these types of accusations really helpful in terms of maintaining public trust in government health officials? Since, as Robbie was a little talking about, you were as well, there is some people that don't really like Dr. Fauci and want to see him ousted.
2: I think that it's very difficult when... You see an administration that consistently belittles people who are meant to be nonpartisan bureaucrats and describe there's there's a most of the people who would want him removed. Like his approval ratings are very high, but most of the people who would want anyone like Dr. Fauci removed are people who believe in a deep state conspiracy about Trump wanting to be purged from the government or something like that. I don't really I don't really believe that there are a lot of people who want people like Dr. Fauci or um, Deborah Birx. I don't think anyone really wants them removed. And I think a lot of the time they are trying their best to not bother the president as much as they can because they're so constantly under threat and they think that they are best serving the country in the position that they're in
0: talking a little bit more about that relationship between Dr. Fauci and President Trump, it seems like at times people are kind of confused about who to believe, because if you were listening to their two statements back to back this past week, where Dr. Fauci is saying that we got to hunker down and that this isn't going to really end till the end of next year and into 2022, while President Trump's out there saying, open, 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 we need to open everything up. So, Robbie, does it seem like there is some confusion over the messaging here. Like, who should we believe?
3: Well, I mean, there's always going to be tension between uh, advisors and, you know, executives. And we elect the president to take a lot of decisions from different experts and come up with what they think is best for the country. Right. Take the, um, a military leader is a nonpartisan bureaucrat. Right. But sometimes presidents are forced or think a military leader's advice isn't what's best for the country. And so the president's role is different than Dr. Fauci's role. So there's always going to be tension there and there'd be tension in any administration. But I I, I don't necessarily think there is as wide a gap than your question may present.
0: So moving more into the economic side of things in terms of the coronavirus, the Senate failed to pass a slimmed down version of coronavirus stimulus. Who does this hurt politically, Democrats or Republicans? Robbie, you first on this.
3: I, I don't know if it's going to end up hurting anyone, because I think people, as we get closer to you know the election day, are going to be focused on the, the two presidential candidates. And I think eventually when a a bill is going to be passed. But, I mean, the White House in their negotiation with uh, the the Secretary of the Treasury have been, the whole time in all these rounds of negotiations, just been giving in to the Democrats and mostly the Democrats in in the House with uh, Nancy Pelosi and just being like, sure, sure, sure. And then naturally when the Democrats get that, they ask for a little more. So I don't think these failures are the Republicans' fault. So they've been clearly willing to negotiate, and it was the Senate Democrats who filibustered the bill.
0: Toby, what do you think on this? Do you think do you see anything passing like before November?
2: I really see a problem here because one, I think for the Democrats, it it should probably fall more on our heads under better political circumstances for the Republican Party and the President. There's a lot more other problems in the country that create noise and don't allow him to focus on the legislative aspect of things. And he doesn't really have the interest to focus on the legislative act- aspect of things anyway. So Democrats Democrats are trying to consistently fight for what would line up with the rest of the modern Western democracies in the world. But I don't think the, Democratic, the Republican Party wants to pay for that. So as a result, the Democrats are never going to be aligned with them. And if the Democrats want to compromise, then they'll lose votes on the left wing. So I really do think there's a problem here. And the big issue is, even though Trump passed an executive order in regards to this, he's not providing enough protections for renters. And you you could very easily see homelessness skyrocket in the next couple months if we don't do something about debt forgiveness.
0: Now, Toby, in terms of the Democrats, do you think there's like faults on both sides of this since everyone likes to blame the republicans because they couldn't pass in the senate however the house was asking for two trillion dollars and a lot of it involved funding for the postal service which and no one's doubting that that may be important however this is more about the task at hand so don't you think there's something they have to give a little bit to the republicans on
2: if you're trying to simply pass something then maybe they're being a little bit Difficult with the Republicans, who are probably more willing to be freer with the coin purse than they normally are. But I still think that their limit is nowhere near what we need to get the economy to go where it needs to go and to cure the ills that this virus has brought upon the country, especially in low income areas.
0: Robbie, a member of your own party, President Trump, is warning about the possibility of voter fraud with mail-in ballots this November. He specifically points to the incident that happened in Patterson. Over the weekend while campaigning in Nevada, he accused the governor there of rigging the election. A candidate for Congress in New Jersey's 6th District during that Republican primary, Sammy Gindy, claims he lost that primary due to mail-in ballot fraud. The guy who clinched the nomination, Christian Nanoa, says he's worried about it in the upcoming election. Is this a concern you share with them?
3: There's certainly I mean, there's certainly uh, more of a risk in this. I mean, with the election coming down to, you know, ma- mail and ballots, you know, my just on, from personal experience, my, my sister who lives in Pennsylvania now is still a registered voter and will still get a ballot a ballot here and is a registered voter in Pennsylvania. And I mean, we're not going to vote for her because that's a felony and we don't want to go to jail and things like that. But there's certainly a risk here. But I think more of the risk than actual voter fraud is that states are simply not up to, are not used to counting these member, this number of mail-in ballots. And if this, if you have a situation where in some of the New York primary elections, as I can recall, it took weeks and weeks to declare a winner. And you can think of a nightmare scenario. what is that? What if that happens in a swing state for the presidential election? It, 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 I'm less worried about uh, mail-in voter fraud and more worried about just the state's capacity to deal with the change in how we count elections.
0: Toby, what are your thoughts on this?
3: I uh... I actually do. I mean, before I
2: earlier in the year, I was a little more skeptical about issues with the voting process in the election. And it's not for the same reasons that Republicans have that they believe there's this widespread conspiracy to defraud the entire election. No, that's not the issue. The issue is we are currently trying to do mail in voting, which was a growing progressive trend around the country, but it wasn't a commonality um, in places that have only had the infrastructure for occasional idiosyncratic mail-in voting whether that be absentee or vote by mail just by preference so there's obviously going to be issues but the reality is we're also in the middle of a pandemic that's that's just some things aren't going to work as well as they did before and this is what we have and it's still pretty solid there are problems but i think we can look at the different primaries that have occurred and if we're honest with ourselves, we can come up with better solutions. The issue is we have an administration and we have different governments around the country that rather than trying to compromise and work towards improving vote by mail are fully rejecting the system and trying to get leave people with the option of only voting by mail. And that means that Democrats who are more afraid of the pandemic that the polling data shows this than Republicans are going to turn out less if the only option is to go to the polls. They're going to try to stay home and be safe.
0: The race for the White House in general, as I was saying earlier, the polls are getting tighter. And some new polling came out of Florida and may reveal why. An NBC Wall Street Journal-Maros poll shows the president leading among Florida Latino voters, 50 percent to former VP Joe Biden's 46 percent. Four years ago, Trump was trailing Hillary Clinton with this demographic in Florida, 61 to 32%. Nationally, a Republican presidential nominee hasn't won this demographic as far back as 1972 and in Florida has failed to do so the last three election cycles. So Toby, is this a problem for Joe Biden?
2: This is a monumental problem for Joe Biden. Democratic pollsters have continued since, I mean, generally throughout history, this has been reliable. But over time, as more Latinos come into the United States, the polling data shows that they're they're not really as tethered to a singular party as other groups have been historically polled to be. They're generally considered just a group and they are in that they, they are more similar to the general population. So when you go and look at Florida, which especially has a high um high population of Cuban Americans who are especially hesitant to side with anything left leaning or socialist because of the history of the country of Cuba. You it's not really that surprising that the Democrats find significant problems in general with Latino voters, but especially in
3: Florida.
0: Robbie, how should Trump capitalize on this?
3: Basically, Trump should focus on, um, you know, paycheck issues, the economy, they say things like I'm gonna I'm gonna be better for fixing the economy than Joe Biden was. See what I did before coronavirus, which came from China and was not it wasn't my fault at all. See how great the economy was before that and things like that. And basically, you know, try to try. I mean, his election strategy has to be offsetting losses he's had amongst college uh, college educate or college educated white voters, which uh, were which. Were something that Romney did well with non-college educated white voters and minority voters. And he doesn't have to win with even uh, with Latinos or African-Americans. He just has to do better than Republicans have and perhaps can change uh, the map for with demographics that he has lost as compared to other
0: uh, Republican presidential candidates. Yeah, you mentioned the polling in terms of white college-educated voters. It looks like from a newly released Fox News poll that the president is starting to gain some traction there. And I'm going to give you the exact number. It is 54% to Joe Biden's 44%. It looks like there's some, but again, one polling. We'll have to wait and see. But another key constituent in Florida is seniors. Trump is trailing Biden by nine points in this latest Fox News poll. Trump led that group last time around. Robbie, should he be concerned about that?
3: Yes, he he should be concerned about concerned about that. But because you know traditionally older Americans have, or at least recently older Americans have voted for Republicans. But the, if there's going to be a silver lining to him trailing there, is that's a demographic that he can make up. If he had them once, he can probably get them back. So. I would certainly be concerned about it, but I don't I I wouldn't be throwing in the tower tower just yet. And as as this election, as we get closer, if he can keep, you know, inching, tightening and tightening it, he doesn't need to be he doesn't need to win the popular vote. He just has to get it to where it was four years ago. And he has a fighting chance to win the electoral college.
0: Toby, I'll give you the final word on this. How should Joe Biden try to expand his lead with the seniors, since a lot of people are saying it's due to coronavirus, they don't trust him anymore on it. But what's your take on it?
2: Well, Joe Biden's strategy so far has been to hearken back to normalcy, which I think was a big part of why Trump won last time. The country is changing and it's leaving a lot of people behind, but it's also different and it makes people uncomfortable. Joe Biden points to chaos that Trump has brought and the atmosphere of the coronavirus, and he can even point to the atmosphere of the riots, not so directly, because then he could alienate left-wing voters, but he can allude to the fact that things are chaotic right now. And if he can continue to portray himself as the normal guy, the guy who's been there the whole time, the guy who talks plainly, the guy who's from fighting Joe from Pennsylvania, you know, that... That guy is compelling to older voters, and he's he's just he's just an, a very normal kind of dude. That's why he won the primary, and that's why he has a shot at winning the presidency here. So I think that's his strategy going forward if he wants to expand that lead and possibly win on election day.
0: Toby Amatoso, member of the Rutgers Democrats and former Rutgers Republican chairman and staff for the 2017. 2017- Jack Cittarelli, Campaign, Robbie Siriano. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. So all that about wraps it up for our show this week. We'll be back again next week with another episode right here on WRSU-FM New Brunswick. Now, coming up, there's going to be more music programming right here on WRSU-FM New Brunswick.